0: what's going on guys welcome back to the podcast underneath we are here with elena sobel who is an author and what i know of elena because we met briefly a couple months ago uh at a conference and what i do know briefly about her is that uh she likes fantasy world more than she likes the real world and likes to spin those fantasy tales and she likes to live her Fantasy world in Utah with her husband and her cat, and which brings me to my first question. Yes, sir. Is your fantasy world in Utah with your husband and your they, or is it a fantasy husband and a fantasy cat, or do the fa- the husband and the cat live with you in the fantasy world?
1: Well, this are, this sort of come and go. You know what now, I mean. My like, my fantasy world is by invitation only. <laughs> so they have to earn the privilege. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you get, get kicked out of the fantasy. You get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We don't need you here. at all. Uh, yeah, no,
1: they, they are they are both very supportive. I mean, the cat doesn't know that she's supportive, but she <laughs> is.
0: Oh, well, it's always good to have support. And speaking of animals, so you being a, a particular, a Slavic urban fantasy author, That's which right. we're going to get into that and the specifics of that because I am not familiar with that particular niche, so I definitely want to hear about that. But I did notice that there are or speaking animals, so
1: speaking animals, that's a broad definition, broad
0: definition, (laughs) some anthropomorphizing going on, but what what is the inspiration for, um, not even just those, but any of your characters, are they based off of people you know when you write them, are they aspects of yourself that you're kind of putting into, like, this character's a little bit of me when I'm in this mood and this character is a little bit of me when I am Mm -hmm. in a different mood. Uh, Is it a balance of those or do you prefer one or is there another, another way that you come up with your characters?
1: Well, I think as authors, we all sort of do this. Right, because how can you put yourself in the skin of your character if you if you are not relating to them on some level? Right. I think uh, trying to write like that would uh, just come across disingenuous. You know, we I think we we sort of have to put ourselves in the shoes of other people. And uh, you're absolutely absolutely right. For example, in my book Stitched and Cause of Chronicles, Book One, I imagined myself as a 26 year old demigod guy living in salt lake city and i was like what would i do (laughs) and the answer was hang out with talking animals and make beer in my basement (laughs) so that's what he does i kind of like
0: and i like that plan that is we (laughs) should all strive for that (laughs)
1: yeah but uh, so the talking animals uh, for the most part um this my secondary character is a shifter ferret so she's not exactly talking animal but you know close to it but yeah so my characters are based a lot on my friends Mm. um i was very blessed uh being an immigrant kid in utah by meeting a very diverse cast of other immigrant kids and local kids And, uh, basically I had friends from all over the world, of all races of all sexual orientations that sort of just enriched my life in so many ways. And, um, people often ask me like how my books are so diverse in so many ways. And that's because that's just, it's just a reflection of my life. You know, it doesn't feel right to write books that are not extremely diverse because that's what I knew, uh, growing up in Utah, simply because, um, we were all a little bit lonely in high school and college. And so we banded together and we've had a lot of fun. So in Dimitri's world is that, but plus magic.
0: That plus magic, hence the urban fantasy. I love it.
1: (laughs) That's correct.
0: It's interesting because you said, and and I've spoken with a couple of authors on this podcast at this point by the time you guys see this, but um, there is a point that we have talked about in some of the previous interviews is uh, so me as an author, being a male who's writing for a female lead character, there's some pushback about, you know, being able to do that and that, you know, I I cannot write for this. And I think it depends on me personally, I would say it depends on somebody's experience. Like you said, you grew up in a very diverse group of people. So it was natural for you to write in that way um i've had tons of asian friends and i most like my friends are like 70% women and 30% male so i do feel like i there's some things that i can can draw upon uh that i hear from other females uh, to talk about it with my
1: sure partner. sure so,
0: but there there is that other side of it too where i've seen i don't know if you've ever seen this but i've seen uh people who are creators and creatives they kind of ask how do i write for group demographic x and it's uh, me personally and this might be this is me shooting a little bit maybe some some might not like this some might like it but i think if you have to ask it might mean you might not be best suited to write that because you know i writing japanese mythology i've studied it and loved japanese culture for my entire life since i remember since i was a teenager and it's always been something i've had an interest in it's not something i pointed at and said I've got to write for that demographic. So now I need to learn about it to write for it. Maybe I should know about it first. I don't know how you feel about um, maybe sometimes people may might force it a little bit when, just because they feel they have to.
1: I feel like this is a much discussed subject in our, in our genre, isn't it? Because um, writing just within your demographic, quote unquote, is I think can feel a little bit limited for a lot of people. So um, traversing into another culture, into another gender, um, I think we have to be careful and we have to um, be thorough in our research to make sure to represent and not stereotype. Yeah. So, you know, I, I believe that uh, my my opinion on gender dynamics are, uh, is a little bit unpopular often, but um, <laughs> I believe that men and women are not like different enough to, you know, to have completely different mindsets and life goals. I feel like every human being uh, strives to be understood, strives to be loved. And when I write a male character, I sort of keep that in mind. I just, um, I keep it also what's important to keep in mind is the, um, the privilege of different genders and races within a certain society. So um, I think a lot of that difference between men and women um, speaks to the privilege and what people are allowed by society to do within that society. And then you sort of have to operate within that given spectrum, you know, because um, if you have a person within a society that's not acting like uh, they would in real life, I think that's when you have a problem, you know, like, and that's when it's important to, Uh, Interview and consult your friends who are within the demographic that you're trying to write. Uh, Have them find those sensitivity readers, get them to uh, help you. So, and uh, I did that a little bit with Cause of Chronicles. I had my male friends um, read it and mostly I got very positive feedback and um, I was very pleased to find out that it's not hard for me to pretend to be a frat boy. So... (laughs) (laughs) Which you know, which says more about me, I think, right? Yeah. But
0: (laughs) well, that's an interesting because that's an interesting take because there's um, and we did I did have this conversation uh, before with another author because the a lot of my background is in psychology. So as far as the, we were talking about men writing for women, and obviously J.K. Rowling did a fantastic job writing for a young boy, in her Harry Potter series, and Stephen King did a fantastic job of writing for books like Carrie and uh, Firestarter. Yeah, so Firestarter. you have it, it's there the similarities between men and women again, it's in the mean. It's like there's there's slight differences, but they're not really pronounced until you get to the extremes. so which is again, we I think I've mentioned this before I probably mentioned this before in this podcast, but you know, the most violent of violent people tend to be men because we tilt more towards aggression. The most compassionate of compassionate people, your mother Teresa's, et cetera, tend to be on the female side. But there's that overlap. The majority of it is in this overlap in the middle where it's not that much of a stretch for you to be able to envision what a frat boy is because part of you has that in you. And part of all of us has that frat boy. We all have The lonely person. We all have the person who thinks they're too smart. We also have the person who thinks maybe we're too dumb in a situation. So it's kind of I I think maybe uh, what I was I would append to yours would be maybe getting to that part that's inside of you that you can relate to those other people and then make sure you're respectful of their mores and the way they conduct themselves by doing your research and talking to your friends because you don't like you said you don't want to cliche or stereotype people. Um, There's a fine line between that and uh, being authentic. And sometimes, I mean, what do you think about this? What is the line between being authentic, but maybe you're straddling a line of being stereotypical?
1: Right, right. A lot of those things are a spectrum. So yeah, you you have to, you have to, like you said, consult people who deeply understand how it is to be a specific person in a specific setting slash society. Right.
0: very important very important yeah so is it is it a, a struggle sometimes because so, I've seen um I've seen people talk about something especially their older books which I I don't think you can really judge things that were written 30 years ago by standards now and, much, I, agree. and I don't think any of us were one <laughs> that stuff some of the stuff we write now we have no idea like in 30 years it could be highly offensive I know uh,
1: you, I wonder about that sometimes
0: yeah, like maybe there's some there's an animal that learns to speak, and then they might find all of your books <laughs> shifters.
1: <laughs> Woo! I'd be in trouble then.
0: Oh, you're you're a shifter shiftophobe. It's not it's not good. <laughs> Come on, you're canceled. Sorry, yeah. you're out of here. But okay, I mean, you yeah, just,
1: you just change change your pen name and move on, <laughs> Casey. <laughs> That's how we do.
0: <laughs> Gosh, but how hard is that? I, I mean, do you ever consider when you're writing sometimes for? Uh, I mean, you're again. You're you. You've had a multicultural background, so I don't think any of it's too far afield for you. But do you wonder sometimes is this yes. too much as a stereotype that yes. I'm writing here?
1: Yes, I. There are certain um, demographics and peoples, plural. I tend to not write. Um, um, I usually skirt around certain cultures that I don't have a very good understanding of and or I can't find somebody who can help me understand mm-hmm. it so then I just don't take a chance because I'd rather uh to take a, a, a slightly safer path with a different culture that I understand better and can find someone to help me with than offend somebody because you know I've re- I've read Plenty of uh, books stereotyping Russians and Slavs. Mm-hmm. And you know, um I've never felt like deeply offended by anything, but it is uncomfortable. And you're like, is this how people see us? You know, and that's and that's a difficult it's not it's not a good position to be in. I don't want to put anybody in that position,
0: yeah, and you are. so I, I believe I don't know much of your background. So were you you were born overseas or you born in the states?
1: Right. I was born in Russia, and I grew up.
0: In the United States. Okay, so and when, when did you come over to the United States? I
1: was thirteen.
0: Thirteen. Okay, so you were. Oh boy. So you were at that age of. I'm mm-hmm. just discovering these. At the worst time. <laughs>
1: at the worst time. It was so uh, hard.
0: So when you yeah. came here, like, so, well, I guess what if you can share, why, why did your family decide to leave? Um, if I could call it, can I call it mother? I'm probably offending. I'm. I, I will offend people. So I probably. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Russia, How when did Mother you leave? Mother Russia,
1: Russia? You know, well, well, my family left because, I mean, uh, it was Russia in the 90s, so it was fairly crime-ridden. Hmm. So my family just basically didn't want their kids to be exposed to a lot of that, um, just danger that was, you know, happening at the time. After the wall fell, uh, all of the 90s was very uh, turbulent in Russia. Yeah.
0: And which is which is good history because uh, I, I think a lot of that stuff like today like is missing like the Berlin Wall. I've noticed like some of my really younger friends, my my kids, my friends' kids, they have no idea about any of that. Like none of that, and they don't. They don't at first. They don't, they don't know what you mean by Berlin Wall, and then they don't know what happened to the old Soviet Union. They don't. I, I which is baffling to me because I I'm a, I'm a bit older than you are, obviously. But I have. Um, uh, I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and you know we, you know, Rocky IV was on all the time here. So we right. saw, yes, we saw the American propaganda for it, and I'm sure the other side saw the Russian propaganda for it. But we all knew about it. But it's just weird that kids don't know about it now. When you when you came here at 13, uh, and you said you know you're from I mean, from Russia to obviously when you go to school the kids treat you any differently? Were, were there people that were sympathetic or did you find like a group of other Slavic people to hang around?
1: You know, I actually was the only one.
0: Oh, I was wow. the only
1: Slav Slav in my high school. And for the first year I was completely alone. Hmm. So, but it was interesting because, um, a vacuum shall be filled. You know because nature abhors it so <laughs> what happened is that um ethiopian girls took me under their wing
0: nice. so
1: i hung out with ethiopian seniors for the first for the first year of my life in the united states and that was so very interesting because russia is not diverse and all of a sudden i was surrounded from kids from all over uh with kids from all over so um so that first year i spent um the, because they had cars and stuff. So they just sort of like took this little, little, you know, just Russian freshman all over, all over the city with them. They just, they just basically adopted me and it was very, very sweet.
0: Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where I live, uh, there's, there, we have a lot of different cultures uh, clashing over here. So there's a very large Jewish community historically here, which is butted up right next to a very large Russian community. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna she's gonna be mad if I don't mention this but I, I one of my friends uh, has corrected me constantly about pronouncing her name Yelena she's like it's not Yelena it's Lena. I was like what happened to the why she's like just say it like that I'm like
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I understand I, I I get where she's coming from with that
0: <laughs> yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a lot of cultural knowledge there. I, I can't write for a Russians though because I don't know anything about the, the, the history of Slavic history or whatever, but you write Slavic urban fantasy. So this, this niche, I'm very fascinated by it. Like what exactly makes something a Slavic urban fantasy story?
1: That's a loaded question, Casey. <laughs> um, I mean, there's gotta be Slavic stuff in it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my books have um, so I'm sure you're familiar with the myth of Baba Yaga, which is you know <laughs> yes. incorrect. It should be Baba Yaga, by the way. Yes. So,
0: thank you, Mar- Thank you, Marvel, for uh, making that
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So my main character is the grandson of Baba Yaga, and so and he is she has hidden him in Utah from his crazy cousins. And I mean, who in their right mind would look for a Russian or Slavic demigod in Utah? So, um, and so my story sort of like uh, takes root from there. And I love Slavic mythology so much. And I've always felt that it's extremely underrepresented or presented incorrectly Mm. in a lot of Slavic mythology. So, and I thought that since no one else is doing it, I'm going to have to do it myself. Because no one, no one would write my books for me. So I had to take, uh, take matters into my own hands and create stories that uh, at least semi-accurately represented Russian demigods and Russian creatures and Russian pantheon because people are not even aware that there's a Slavic, Slavic uh, pantheon. And I was careful to integrate uh, Belarusian and Ukrainian creatures into the mix because um, Slavic mythology as a whole is extremely fascinating. It's beautiful. There's so many um, layers to it, and of course, like every other mythology in the world, one story feeds into the other and goes back two thousand years. So, right. and uh, unraveling those things, and uh, admittedly taking a lot of uh <laughs> creative liberty with them, <laughs> right. um, I I weave all those elements into my stories and. I just enjoy it so much. I mean, I, I, I do what I love and it's amazing.
0: So for somebody who's not familiar with like the Slavic pantheon, you know, everybody's familiar with, you know, the Romans and the Greeks and, you know, even the Vikings and the Norse gods and everything else. Now, what would you, how would you compare and contrast it to show somebody like, this is what kind of, distinguishes the Slavic mythology and the Slavic pantheon from these other ones that you might be familiar with?
1: So Slavic mythology is quite a bit similar. It's like somewhere in between Celtic and Nordic mythology, I would say. Okay. So uh, it's got a lot of unique elements, but some things are shared because it's mythology, it's stories. They they, they cross borders and travel through time. So um, I would say that the distinguishing perhaps is a lot of um, wise and scary women (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Slavic mythology that if you kind of dig a little deeper you find all kinds of tales about like fascinating women and I absolutely adore that starting um, starting from Baba Yigad to Vasilisa the wise uh, the the stories about interesting women that changed uh, the course of quote-unquote mythological history and uh, change stories themselves and um, basically so weren't just supporting roles very oftentimes there were lead roles in those stories and I find that extremely fascinating it's also very interesting because um, once you sort of dig a little deeper into uh, Celtic and Nordic mythology you find a lot of similarities like the world tree Right. so the world tree that reaches through basically all the pantheons and it is also present in the slavic mythology
0: okay mm-hmm. so there is an idrisil connected to the slavic pantheon right
1: it in the slavic pantheon it's an oak
0: it's an oak okay mm-hmm. that's a, i don't know how much of a gamer you are if you are or not but um, a
1: little bit a little bit
0: a little bit but everybody's familiar obviously now the rage right now is god of war the god of war series which they took a character who was an invented character from the Greek pantheon. They had a series with him there, and now they moved him into the Norse pantheon for the last two games. Yep. And I guess the, the what they're going to do is they're going to go to have him go to different pantheons. So I wonder if this will maybe make a pitch, <laughs> make a pitch to this, <laughs> the the uh, the guys making a game that they need to go to uh, the Slavic pantheon. Maybe you might be the person to talk to about it.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't think the West is ready for the Slavic pantheon right now, but maybe one day. I'm sure. I'm sure working on it. Um, I want. To, I want to. A big part of my sort of like mission as an author is to familiarize people with the Slavic pantheon. I right. want it to be familiar because uh, there are so many Slavs, and we are kind of woefully underrepresented. In the, in the fantasy genre, witcher notwithstanding, uh, right. because I would say that he loses, he uses Slavic mythology a little bit more loosely, like from by, by Eastern European standards, uh, witcher is quite a bit Western,
0: mm, okay. so,
1: which doesn't stop it from being an amazing story. I'm a huge fan. Uh, but like, <laughs> right. um, as far as the core mythology is not really represented in those books. And it's kind of a shame in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, and you touched on also, also on, which is something that I had discussed earlier, is uh, and me examining the hero's journey and noticing a different patterns between, again, writing for a female lead character and different yeah. patterns for the female hero, hero's journey from the male one. And one of the things we were talking about is that it's, it's interesting in Western culture, we're familiar with Gandalf, we're familiar with Obi-Wan, we're familiar with Dumbledore, but I was like there are very sparse, like like female counterparts to those characters that are popular. And you don't find them in a lot of places, which is very, very interesting to hear how you're talking about how in the Slavic mythology, they actually are a lot of those type of characters that are female characters who are the wise ones, who are the ones with that kind of uh, gravitas that those characters have in some of the more Western um, stories and mythologies. Do you think that... Uh, uh, you said you didn't, don't know if the West is ready for it. Do you think that it, it's something that's coming soon or is it something that, you know, maybe far down the line? Um, I mean,
1: I'm not really an expert in um, how the humans sort of like exchange information, but I would say that maybe five years, mm-hmm. five, 10, you know, I would imagine that Slavic will be will become more popular because it is very interesting there yeah. are so many things in slavic mythology specifically and um we are, i think we are sort of working on it you know me and um i actually started uh, talking to another author um her name is enum Thorne, and she is a slavic mythology writer as well writing urban fantasy so um so uh, she and i have been talking about this very thing how uh, we really wish that um, Slavic mythology was more widespread because of its rich history because of its interesting stories and because um, even the artifacts and the creatures and the monsters are so unique and so so I mean different from the West so right. mm-hmm.
0: So now that you're in, uh, you're settled in Utah with your imaginary cat and your imaginary husband, uh, can we, so how how is it that you settled on Utah, that that's the place that you wanted, you guys wanted to uh, set down roots?
1: Oh, so my family um, was LDS. So that's why we came to Utah specifically. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the history Mm -hmm. of Utah, but yeah, so, uh, so the Mormon church is here. So that's how. That's how we sort of got introduced to the state. Um, And then, so that was like really, that was a long time ago though. I wouldn't say that I'm an active member
0: or anything. Non-practicing currently.
1: Yeah, let's let's call it that. But um, (laughs) yeah, so that was the reason, that was the primary reason we settled here.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, cool.
1: But Utah has a very interesting uh, cultural background in the bohemian community up in salt lake city and the very strong lgbtq rep as well here we have a, a very nice little community um, in salt lake city and uh, pride and all those kind of things and it's it's been actually kind of wonderful living here because it's sort of a Salt Lake City is a, is not really a city, but it's a city. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it doesn't have big city problems, but right. it has big city advantages.
0: Okay, well, that's a. I'm sure there's a lot that you can draw on from Utah, um, given all of the uh, the flavor that is is out there. Sometimes, um, is there anything that you think that you haven't done yet in your stories? that you want to uh, get to, it, you know, obviously you're bringing up uh, increasing awareness of Slavic mythology, um, mm-hmm. is, is, is there, are there any other uh, sub themes that you have to your stories that you want to kind of get across?
1: Oh, yeah, actually, um, right now I'm working on a new series that revolves around various underworlds, and I want to explore underworlds, I think they're really cool, and I think uh, outside of Hades and Hell, uh, the underworlds from other countries are not really well represented. And I would like to correct that. So that's the next uh, the next theme that I'll be venturing into with my new with my new series that's coming out.
0: Well, that's very cool. So we will look forward to uh, diving into the dark side of multiple cultures now <laughs> in the future. <laughs> you know uh, it. I the think, best I,
1: side, right? Yeah. <laughs> the mean, interesting we, side. Let's call it that. Uh,
0: uh, the the psychologically warped side. It might lead, <laughs> to, might lead you to do some bad things if you you dwell there a little bit too long. Remember, Saruman and the Palantir. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, but it was bit cool talking to you, Elena. I'll let the folks know where they can find you on your socials.
1: Oh, so uh, you can find me on my website, Elena Sobel elenasobo And you can find all my socials there. I'm on Instagram and I'm kind of on TikTok. <laughs> still, still trying to find my way around that. Um, and I'm also on Facebook.
0: Cool. Well, thank you for joining us today and we will see you guys soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Casey. Bye, everybody.